Hi, this is Heike and Happy New Year. Welcome back to the show and hello to any new listeners. I am super excited to have you here with me and I want to wish you a happy and healthy new year. I want to start this year off with transformation in mind. Many of us in the second half of life are thinking about doing new things, adventure out, or transforming one or more parts of their lives into something different, of something that we've always dreamed about, or that just came across and we just wanted to do something different. And our guest today will share her incredible transformation from where despite all, as she calls it, the nagging from her family, looking in the mirror, knowing what is happening, that she was not ready to transform until she decided for herself that it was time to transform her life and follow what she calls her daydream. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to let you know that the Empty Nest Reboot Program is about to open its doors again. We only open the program three times a year, and I don't want you to miss out on joining this program. The Empty Nest Reboot is a four-week program that teaches you intermittent fasting strategies and habit-building strategies to burn fat, lose weight, gain more energy, and feel overall healthier. And that combined with Pilates and fitness exercises that don't hurt your knees. So I'll leave a link in the show notes for you to check it out. And without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. I'm Heike Yates, a fitness and nutrition coach with 30 years of experience. I empower empty nester moms over 50 to take back their health and strength to feel vibrant in their second half of life. Right now, you're joined by thousands of empty nester moms around the world who stop dimming their light and instead ignite their spark. On this podcast, I do what I do best, taking complicated information about fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies, and breaking it down into baby steps that are simple, actionable, and reliable so you can implement them into your life. I regularly interview some of the most inspiring guests who share their honest stories on how they went from their worst to their best in life so that you know you're not alone struggles. Join me as we redefine what aging looks and feels like by taking action and saying, yes, I can. This is the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to introduce you today to Sue Reynolds. Sue is the author of The Athlete Inside, The Transforming Power of Hope, Tenacity, and Faith. She transformed herself from a 335-pound couch potato into a 135-pound world championship qualifying triathlete, all between the ages of 56 and 62. Sue conquered fear and pride to find that the best version of herself had been there all along. And in the process, Sue hopes that her book, and her story will inspire others like you, the listener, to begin their own transformational journey, whatever those journeys might be. Welcome to the show, Zoo. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, as we were chatting a little bit before coming on, we have so much in common. This is going to be a great, fun discussion. And for anybody who's not a triathlete and don't even know what that means, stick around. We got lots of stuff that you want to know. So, Sue, what are you most passionate about? Oh, gosh, I'm, I have a lot of passions um, that I'm deeply passionate about. And, you know, one is my faith, another is my family. But then the one that we're talking about today is just fitness and especially triathlon. I, I just absolutely have discovered that I love um, training and I love racing and 
is just gives me something joyful to look forward to every day. I know. What did you do before you are, were known as a triathlete, age group triathlete person, a woman in, in triathlon, I should say? Yeah. So um, in my work, um, I founded a nonprofit that helps schools improve. Um, it was another thing that I was passionate about, um, helping kids and help, especially um, lower income students. Um, and that was my passion. And um, so that kind of took all my time and my energy and my attention um, before triathlon and ended up when I discovered triathlon taking a, a much earlier retirement than I thought it was going to, so I could pursue this dream as well. So yeah, I, I and I, I do have a lot of passions. I, I just think that um, life is exciting and fun. And I, I like exploring and just going down roads. You know, guys, I have to share with you that Sue just shared with me that her birthday is in eight days. And when you watch the video, because we also have a video, she's 69, almost 69 year old and a grandma, a grandma of how many? So I now have five, um, uh, four grandchildren in Kentucky and one um, eight month year old, eight month year old, eight month old uh, in, in Colorado. Oh, cool. That's awesome. I might mention too that in triathlon, we want to get older because that like puts us in a new new age group. So I just turned 69. I can't wait to turn 70. <laughs> One more year <laughs> and then I'm in a new age group. I can only concur to that. That's what I thought last year. Like, oh, next year I'm going to be one age group up. This is great. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's another fun thing about triathlon is you get to look forward to getting older. That's yeah, my husband always says, he says, at the, if he keeps up his pace running, then when he's 75, he will be able to run the Boston Marathon. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hey, age is just a number. So we make what we can out of what we have with our bodies at any given time. But I want to know, I want your listeners to hear your story that the book is all about and the lifestyle that you have achieved. Can you describe to us? your life back then and what led to you gaining or ballooning up to 335 pounds? Yeah, I think there's a lot of stereotypes that go with obesity. Um, and um, I, like most people, really don't fit any of the stereotypes. Um, I, you know, all my life have been a successful woman at whatever I tried to do. Um, I'm disciplined. I'm you know, I, I have goals. Um, I'm, I've just been, you know, very, very successful. And I think that in a way, in a big way, led to my weight gain. Um, I mentioned that I founded this nonprofit that helped kids. And I was so passionate about that work that I would often stay up all night, um, maybe like three or four times a week, uh, doing work, um, not because I had to, but just because I, I loved what I was doing and felt that I was making a difference in kids' lives. Um, and I discovered that it was a whole lot easier to stay up all night if I ate while I was doing it. And so I might pull an all-nighter and, you know, maybe eat a big bag of M&Ms and two dozen cookies and whatever else I could find in the house just to stay awake. And uh, our nonprofit became very, very successful. And but the larger it grew, the larger my belly grew. <laughs> so as a result of, of all of that eating to stay awake to to work. So. So, yeah, so it, it you know, I think a lot of people think that people who are obese um, are eating to drown their sorrows, but been happily married for over 40 years, have two great kids. And as you mentioned, five wonderful grandchildren, very happy with my life. Um, just had a, a, a productive reason for eating, which was to stay awake and yeah, ballooned up to 335 pounds. So it didn't start when you were a child. It started during that time. Yeah, it really started as an adult. Um, as I started working um, first as a teacher, I would stay up late writing lesson plans and, um, you know, started eating then. And, and yeah, so I was, th matter of fact, in, in middle school, I was runner up for the homecoming queen. So, um, yeah, I was quite thin in my, and I did some, my mother had me doing modeling as a toddler. I mean, I, um, yeah, so it wasn't until I was an adult that I put on the weight. 
did your family around you, your husband of, of 40 years, didn't he say, hey, Sue, are you getting a little chunky there, honey? You know, <laughs> don't you want to watch your weight or something like yeah. that? Absolutely. My, my, my children and my son, my sons and my husband, um, both were quite concerned about my weight and, um, they would nag me over and over and over again to, to lose weight. And if, if I were on my fifth piece of pizza, everybody would say, mom, you don't need that fifth piece of pizza. Um, or, you know, you, do you realize mommy just ate a dozen cookies all in one setting? Yeah, they were really kind of nags about the whole thing. And, and I, and I think that that was good. I didn't listen to them, but I could hear their concern. And there was one point where my younger son said very bluntly to me, he said, Mom, you're going to die. And I thought, I didn't think I was going to die because all through this, my blood pressure has been really low. Even when I was obese, I still had low blood pressure. So I didn't think my obesity was going to be a health issue for me. Statistically, that's wrong. As we know with COVID, people who are obese are much more likely to have serious um, situ health situations. Um, but what bothered me and him telling me that I was going to die was that I thought how awful that must be for him to think that his mother was on a, a path to an early death. And, um, but even though that bothered me so much, I, I still didn't lose weight. Um, I, that, that wasn't the key. So, how, old, how old were you then, Sue? Um, I was in my late fifties, maybe 57 ish, 58. Okay. So, yeah. And then finally, what made the difference to me was there wasn't, you know, people always will think, gosh, you know, there must have been an illness or some kind of wake up call, you know, and there really wasn't. Um, I just got really tired of not being able to do things. So and it wasn't so much because of my weight, it was more because of my size. Um, I was just I carried most of my weight in my belly um, in my rear. And so there were just so many places that I couldn't fit. So at work, I mean, here I am running this nonprofit. And if, if another, you know, a client or a funder asked me to go out for lunch, I would just have to cross my fingers that we weren't going to sit in the booth because I, you know, I couldn't get my body into the booth. Um, so I'd have to kind of, you know, figure out how to steer us to a table so I could push the chair way back and sit down. Um, but the thing that got me the most was that I, I couldn't put my own shoes and socks on because I couldn't reach around my belly to get to my feet. Um, and so I, every morning I'd have to ask my husband to put my socks and shoes on for me. And it was so like, just kind of humiliating to have to ask him to dress me. I mean, I just hated that. And then one morning I just, I don't know what happened, but I just had enough. And I was sitting at the breakfast table. I, I remember this distinctly. I was sitting at the breakfast table with this mega calorie breakfast in front of me. And I remember just putting my hands up in front of me, palms out and push like I was pushing away that food and, and just saying enough. And that moment I decided to make um, different choices. And, and I think it's significant that the motivation came from within me instead of what society or my family or anybody else was telling me, I had to be at the moment internally where I was ready to, to make that, that, you know, that move. Um, but because my family had been so, so nagging me to diet, once I started that direction, then they were like all on board and, you know, complimenting me for not eating. And every step I took when I first started walking, they were sending me texts that said, woo. And, so, you know, my family was, was very instrumental in supporting me, but I had to decide for myself that it was time for me to lose weight. What is it, what does it feel mm -hmm. like? And, and I can only relate in a little bit because I was an obese, obese child and teenager. So no. I had a, a similar moment like yours in my life where I was like, I am done. Yeah. And, but as an adult, I know what it feels like as a child when you're treated like crap. But <laughs> What, tell us from your perspective, how did people treat you because you were obese? You were, you didn't fit in a chair. You couldn't fly in an airplane on one seat. What, what is it like? Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I think I was very blessed in this 
area that I did not feel discrimination towards me because of my size. I think that was unusual um, in talking with other obese people. You know, statistically, we know that people, obese people are overlooked for promotions. And, you know, there's just this stereotype that goes with them. Um, I never experienced any um, teasing or anything. And I, maybe that was because I became obese as an adult when I think, you know, adults are not like junior high girls, you know, they're, they're, they're not as vicious maybe or whatever. So, but yeah, I feel very blessed that I, I never felt that, that kind of treatment. Treatment. Now you started dieting. So what did you start doing? Yeah. So my, my first diet was, uh, I did a program where you um, count points. So it was Weight Watchers. Mm-hmm. And which I think is a wonderful program. Um, today, when people are asking me to recommend a, a nutrition program, I'll tell them, you know, the best one for you is the, going to be the one that you follow. But I think Weight Watchers does a lot of things in a very smart way. But for me, um, I started Weight Watchers. I lost, I think, 65 pounds. But the way I did it, was not how I think uh, Weight Watchers intended. Um, <laughs> I would eat all of my points for breakfast. So I had waffles and pancakes and stuff. And then I just wouldn't eat the rest of the day. So, so that... you started like almost an intermittent fasting diet. <laughs> one, one meal a day diet. Oh my. Yeah. yeah. And, and not a nutritious meal. It was all like pancakes and waffles. And um, so in that, you know, that worked. I mean, I lost weight because I was at a calorie deficiency, but it wasn't sustainable. Um, and especially as I started exercising a little bit that I wanted to eat later in the day, to, you know, cause I was hungry and, um, I eventually gained almost all of the 65 pounds that I lost back. And I actually, I opened the book with that story. Cause I, wanted people to think about, you know, on any journey that you're on, if whatever you do doesn't work, that's not a reason for stopping. It's just as a, a, a message that you need to find a plan B or a plan C. So when I gained all that weight back, I thought, okay, is this going to be just like all the other diets I had done all my adult life and, and just another failed diet? Um, or am I going to, you know, try something different. And so the next thing I tried was um, uh, basically just uh, eating healthy. I mean, just eating how I think healthy people eat every day. There was really no mystery to it. I didn't leave out any food groups there. You know, what I did didn't have any magical diet name to it. I just ate healthy. Um, So yeah, and you know, tried to eat well, in the beginning, I was eating three times a day. And now I eat five times five or six times a day. Yeah. Um, no, but then, Sue, did you, because um, I looked at your log that you shared with me, that you started a little exercise and then you started dieting, but you took a break from exercise. Is this where the 60 pounds were that you lost? And then you started back again, or was it different? Yeah, no, I think that that was when I, the, when I, when I regained the 60 pounds, that was when I, you know, stopped all programs. Um, the exercise I stopped about the same time. I went to a uh, doctor that didn't have a lot of experience with obese people exercising. And he was nervous about me exercising. And he suggested that I not exercise until I lost some more weight. Uh, Yeah, which is, I mean, that's, there are so many ways that majorly obese, morbidly obese people can exercise. I mean, you know, sitting down on a, on a recumbent bike or doing water aerobics. So, you know, where you're doing things where you're, you're not like jumping or running because with, with a lot of, you know, when you're carrying an extra 200 pounds, that's a lot of stress on your joints to do that kind of exercising, but water aerobics, walking, there's a lot of things that obese people can do. So, yeah, so it's not like the show, the biggest loser where they make you believe that there's like large people, obese people, and they put them through this tire pushing, whatever, ever program. And I'm like, this is not realistic. And as you just said, you know, you want to start slowly, even though this one doctor didn't know what he was doing. I, I, I feel you felt, okay, I want to move to, I want to do something else. Yeah. 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 And my, my first exercise, 
I mean, like, I mean, I was obese, I'm carrying an extra 200 pounds. And I thought, you know, what can I do? And again, my nagging family had been nagging me to go walk with them forever. And finally, one day I just told my husband, okay, I'll do it. And um, my first walk was literally, we walked to the neighbor's driveway, um, which was uh, maybe a hundred yards from my house. And I thought I was going to die. I mean, it was, it was more walking than I had done like in the longest time. I'm holding onto his arm and I think I'm, I have half of my weight he is supporting. Mm-hmm. And we had to take some rests uh, along the way. And then we walked back. So it was 200 yards total. And I was done. I mean, I just collapsed on the couch. And, um, but it was, it was just the best feeling because I realized I had exercised and I, you know, I didn't die. <laughs> you know, yep. Everything was fine. And so the next day we walked to the second neighbor's driveway and back. And then the day after that, the third neighbor's driveway. And, and every time I did a walk in, in those days, I would text my kids and you know, I'd say, I walked to the seventh driveway and they text me back and say, woohoo. So, yeah. And what I, what I realized, and this is again, something that I like to say to people who are just starting a journey, a fitness journey was that what I had set up with my, with my sons was an accountability system that every day I checked in with them and told them what I did. They would say, good job, mom. So I got a little bit of positive feedback. Um, and I also knew that if I didn't text them after this got going, that they would wonder, hmm, I wonder if mom skipped her, skipped her walk today. Ah. So there was that accountability part in there too. So that was really helpful in the, in the start. So you started, you dieted, you gained the weight back, but you said, I'm going to exercise. And you said, okay, I'm all I have to do is eat healthy. I don't eat waffles for breakfast. Although waffles are very tasty, but I, I, I this is not working for me. And did you choose on your own what you what you you should eat, or did your husband help you with your meals? What what was it like back then? Yeah, so there was a program, just a local program in my town um, where I live in Indiana, that um, taught nutrition as part of a an, an exercise program, um, and then did a lot of accountability with with food intake as as well. And basically, I mean, if you were to look up the National Diabetes Association recommended nutrition, it was very much like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I would eat, we, they would have us eat carbs, but it would be healthy carbs like apples. Um, um, you know, we, we ate fats, um, almond butter, um, you know, so, so I learned like what healthy foods were in that. But for someone who doesn't have access to that kind of a program, the National Diabetes Association, I think they give great, and Weight Watchers too. I think they give, you know, great advice that you can find online for free about, you know, what does it mean to eat healthy? Yeah. Um, And that's not obvious. That's not obvious to a lot of people. We just talked about this recently about people that live near cities have a much healthier understanding of what a healthy meal should look like as when you go somewhere drive in the middle of, we were in Virginia, somewhere near the mountains, and we're looking at what the, what the offerings were and none of us wanted to eat what the place offered. And like, yeah, we'd rather not eat, but you have, we also have to understand that not everybody has access to that information or even that food source. So if you right. go to your local diner, what does it have? grits and gravy and sauce and sausages and eggs fried over easy or whatever and it is it is also hard sometimes to to understand what you're supposed to do and so I think your suggestions are great to help somebody who's like I don't know in my community we don't eat what what does healthy mean does it open a can of beans yeah um what does another, it mean another lesson that I learned was I discovered that Anytime I used the words, yeah, but, um, what was, what would follow was an excuse for why I wasn't going to do what I should be doing. And so, you know, and I had the same, yeah, buts that you're talking about, you know, I'd say, yeah, but, you know, we're doing a fast food meal and fast food is, you know, oftentimes you can't find a lot of healthy selections or, you know, yeah, but this, yeah, but that. And, um, and then, it, so I just made myself a promise that every time I found myself saying, yeah, but I would figure out a, a healthy solution to it. So for me, it was, if my husband wanted to go out for dinner, we'd go out for dinner, but I would bring my diet food with me. 
And I discovered that if I ordered a glass of you know, tea and a side salad that the restaurants did not care that I brought my, and I'd explain, you know, I'm on a special nutrition program. And um, yeah, so it's just, you know, not, not allowing myself to have excuses for why I couldn't make good choices. Yeah. So you make the healthier choices. You started walking and your day secret daydream was triathlons. Where did that passion come from? You know, I don't know. <laughs> so, the cool bikes. <laughs> I did not. This this part still like amazes me. I think, how did that happen? Um, I didn't know anyone who had ever done a triathlon. I I I knew nothing about triathlon. I remember the discussion like 20 years prior where someone had told me that their husband did this cool thing where they biked for a while and swam for a while and, and ran for a while. Um, I didn't know it was called an Ironman until later or triathlon. I just knew that there was this cool thing. And I, and I remember at, at the time I thought, wow, that is so cool that you must really have to be fit to do that. So I was, you know, I was walking and I did a, a water aerobics class because that was something I could do when I was obese. And then after class, I would like dog paddle a length or get a kickboard and I kick a length or something. Um, and then I just got this crazy idea that if I, if I added bike, maybe I could do a triathlon someday. Um, so I signed up for a spin class. I didn't tell anybody what I was doing and I never really thought I would, I would do a triathlon. It was just this crazy little daydream that I had. Um, but what I loved about it is that I was no longer in my mind. I was no longer exercising. I was now training. And that gave the exercise purpose, which made it so much easier to do. So, you know, I'm like, you know, waddling down the street in my obese body, you know, but in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm training for a triathlon. You know, <laughs> it's just like, so. Um, how, and much, then, how much weight have you lost at that point? Where were you at in that journey of weight loss? Uh, my first triathlon now, when you had that idea, so you were still in the oh, stage when of I getting my idea. Oh my gosh, that was, um, I don't know. I was maybe, at, I maybe had lost 50 pounds. So I was, you know, at 280 or something still. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I was still majorly obese and yeah. I mean, if, if I had said that I was thinking about it, triathlon to anybody out loud, they would have just thought I was crazy. <laughs> so, but then I got to the point where I could do, I could do all the distances and I thought, well, maybe you so should. So you were, you were in the pool swimming. So you started without the kickboard then you started freestyle. Yeah. Well, I started breaststroke. I actually did my first triathlon breaststroke. Um, Cause I, I couldn't, I couldn't, well, half breaststroke. Yeah. So I started with breast or well, I started kind of with dog paddle <laughs> and then went to breaststroke. Um, and then I couldn't swim a whole length of freestyle. So I would do half a length freestyle and then half a length breaststroke. And then I could do a whole length freestyle. And, you know, finally I built up where I could do, you know, 16 laps of freestyle, which was um, in a lot of beginning sprint triathlon triathlons for 400 meters is, uh, the distance that you do in the swim. So it's just 16, 16 lengths. And, um, and I knew I didn't, you know, I, I'd done a ton of reading online by that point. And I knew in a triathlon, you don't have to be fast. You don't have to swim freestyle. You don't have to even be able to swim the whole distance. You're allowed to hold on. There's kayaks all along the swim course. And all you have to do is tread water for a minute and raise your hand and the kayak will come over to you and you can hold on to the kayak and rest if you want to. And, and a lot of people do a lot of people in their first triathlon, they'll just swim from kayak to kayak, you know, to, to get around on the swim. And you, you picture, you're painting a really nice picture because most people think a triathlon, they think Ironman, uh, yeah. Hawaii, that's what everybody thinks. And it's not true because you can start with a sprint triathlon and the distances are manageable and shorter than all the others and like you said you swim kayaks there for safety but you swim from boat to boat if you wanted to and um you have a finish time that you have to finish but it's it's doable and it's like you said it gives you training yeah absolutely and i like to think of it like in triathlon it's just like track and field and track and field there are different distances for events and it's the same thing in in triathlon so um, most people will start with the sprint triathlon, which is 
um, is just the 400, 400 to 750 meter swim. So, you know, 16 laps of the pool. Um, then you, you know, you, you get out of the water and you walk up to a place where your bike is waiting and you, you know, get on your bike and it, you take off on your bike. You're going 12 miles on the bike. Um, and you don't have to ride your bike the whole way. I mean, if, if there's plenty of times when I've seen people, if there's a big hill, they'll get up off their bike and walk up the hill. Um, and then you come back on the bike and you can go as fast or as slow as you want. Um, then you go back to where your, you know, where your run stuff is and you park your bike and pick up your run stuff. And that's just a 5k or a 3.1 mile, um, run, but you don't have to run. You can walk. So it's just, that's one of the things I love about the triathlon community is that it's just about finishing. So it's really, you know, for most people, it's not about racing. It's just about getting across the finish line. Um, I've always thought that the biggest success is crossing the start line. Cause I think that takes a ton of guts to stand at that start line and, and get, you know, to, to start. And then just having the perseverance, no matter how slow or fast that you're going to get across the, the finish line and everybody cheers for everybody else. Cause it's, you know, it's not competitive for most people. It's just, you know, it's just getting it done. Yeah. So, so and that's great because most people think I have to be fast. And in reality, in triathlon, I see so many people walking their runs. So if you say, oh, you know, walk, running is not so good for my knees, you can walk it. You can run, walk it. And it's totally doable. And that the distance initially sounds a lot. Because, and listeners, you heard that Sue started toggy paddling. She started breaststroking. She was no swim superhero, swim team person that said, oh, you know, I, you know, I swam when I was in college in high school. No, she said, you know, I doggy paddle and I'm getting myself fitter because I take little baby steps. I do one thing at a time. Yeah. So you got your diet figured out with all the help you had. Your husband and your family were rooting you on, so that's your support system. You had your, your daydream, secret daydream, I love that. Who helped you set your goals? Um, I think those just really came from me. You know, my first goal was just to finish a, a triathlon. Um, every time I've reached a goal, then I've been curious about what can I do next? And you know, so the first goal was to finish the triathlon. The second goal was to see if I could do it a little bit faster. So now I'm competing against myself. And, you know, just every time I've reached a goal and I've wondered what's the next goal. So, and, and one other thing about these shorter sprint triathlons, I think there's a misperception out there that once you've done a shorter triathlon, then you should do a longer triathlon and then a longer triathlon. But, but I, I, I've done one half Ironman, which is like 70 miles altogether racing, but I specialize in the short ones. So, um, you know, once you've done the short ones, you can just stick with them. You don't have to go longer. And, and I, I prefer, you know, going a shorter amount of time, but then going really, really hard. So, yeah, so that's, that's kind of my stick. It's, it's true too, because it takes also less time to train. Like when, when I remember when I trained for my Ironman, I was just every weekend we were gone training, long rides, long runs every weekend for months during the week. All we did was train, 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 train. And then once I was done, I said, you know what? This is way too much work for the effort, that, for the result at the end. I want to do shorter distances because it requires not to give up my life. I still live my life can do things that I love to do and don't have to train all the time. And like you said, you can go faster because you do shorter distances. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just to, to give your listeners an idea, when I first started training, my training was 20 minutes a day. That's, that's all the time. I mean, I'm running a nonprofit. That's all the time I had. So, you know, I go do a 20 minute swim or I go do a 20 minute walk or whatever, just to, to try to build the fitness a little bit. So when you went to the starting line the first time, what were you like? What was your body like? Where, where, where were you mentally? I was terrified. <laughs> Good. I was absolutely terrified. And again, I'd never been to a triathlon. I didn't know any triathletes. I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, but again, the triathlon community is just so helpful and so nice. So as soon as I got there, 
this is a little trick that I've applied in lots of areas of my life. Um, as soon as I got there, I looked around to try to find the, the smartest person that I could see. And there was a guy that had a really fancy bike and I figured he was really smart. And I just walked up to him and I said, I'm so clueless, I don't know what I'm doing. And he held my hand and showed me, you know, how to set up and transition all that. And, and then um, going to the swim start, I mean, I, I lined up, there were 400 people in this race. I lined up the very last person and I figured, okay, I'll have all this opportunity to watch what 399 people do before it comes to me. And that will be my education. Um, and I was very concerned. I mean, I'm still obese and the thought of wearing my bathing suit in public around all these people was just like horrifying. So I actually brought my, my bathrobe and I put it on over my bathing suit so no one could see me. Um, but then at, I, at the start, of course, I had to take off my bathrobe. So right before it was my turn to go, I slipped it off and I handed it to my husband and I turned to walk in the water. And I, I didn't realize that there's professional photographers at these races. And here's this guy with his camera taking the picture of me in my bathing suit that's going to end up online. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh no. So, but that's when I've one of my favorite mantras has been go away pride. And I just just screaming in my head as that guy was taking pictures of me, go away pride, go away pride. And just tried to get into the water as fast as I could before anybody would see me. So, but yeah, but I, I was, I was like majorly terrified and I hadn't told any of my friends or anybody except my husband that I was doing this because I was fairly certain I was not going to make it or that I would chicken out and I didn't want anybody to know. So, but, but I made it. You made it. You made it. That's, you must've been so proud of yourself. I, I was, um, you know, it was really a learning experience in my first transition, I didn't realize that that was like part of the race. And I sat down between the swim and the bike and ate a sandwich and brushed my hair and, you know, put clothes on over my bathing suit. I think I was 20, 20 minutes in my first transition. Now, now my goal is 28 seconds <laughs> to tell you, you know, what a difference that was, but yeah, yeah did the bike, love the bike and coming back on the run, I was, you know, dead last. Um, but I crossed the finish line and everybody had gone home. Um, they had already had the award ceremony. I was so far behind everybody else. But when I came across that finish line, my husband has pictures of me holding up one finger like I'm number one, even though I was dead last because in my mind, I mean, I felt like I'd won the Olympics. You know, yeah. I was just like, I crossed that finish line. Yes, I was very proud. Yes. That, that was one of the best moments of my life. And it's, it's such a, a defining moment too, that you did not give up that yeah. you said no excuses and whatever it takes, I find my way to get to that starting line and I do it. I'm afraid that I might lose that, you know, like the, the photographer, it's already saying, Oh my God, really? No, uh, I don't want to see this. And it's you're dealing with all these emotions as you're tackling your most challenging physical feed at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But it, again, I mean, I love those mantras, you know, go away fear, go away pride, you know, no excuses, whatever it takes, find a way, you know, those have really uh, spoken to me a lot. It took you four years to lose 200 pounds, continuing the eating the way you started your new eating ha healthy habits and started doing races instead of saying, I have to exercise. I'm you decided you're going to train and you trained for the races as you moved through those four years, right? Right. Now, yeah. with, with a lot of weight loss comes a lot of loose skin. Mm -hmm. And, and I've seen pictures, it's like you hold this big piece of skin. Did you have any surgery to remove the skin? I didn't. And I so appreciate that question, because I think that's a question that's on a lot of people's minds. Um, I have a lot of women tell me that they, again, this is a yeah, but uh, yeah, but I don't want to lose a lot of weight because then I'll have loose skin. And I know that that's a lot, something a lot of people think about. Um, so I do have loose skin. Um, and, but here's the deal. Um, I lost my weight very slowly at a healthy two pounds a week. And, um, and I exercise, so that gave my body a chance to absorb some of the skin, um, as opposed to people that lose weight, you know, 
majorly, majorly fast. The body just doesn't have time to, to you know, adjust. Um, and then I discovered that, um, I discovered the miracle of spandex. <laughs> so, so I could wear, you know, I could wear spandex like capris when I'm training, kind of holds everything in. Yep. Um, yeah, so, but the story I absolutely love, <laughs> when my granddaughter was like three, or maybe four, she she had complimented me on the color of my shoelaces. And I said to her, Harper, that is such a sweet thing that you do to say nice things to people. It makes people feel really good when you say nice things. I'm trying to reinforce, you know, this kindness that she just gave me. And she looked up at me and she said, Grandma, I love your flappy arms. <laughs> oh, mommy, this is so cute. <laughs> so that really made me think, who said that loose skin is ugly? <laughs> or, you know, it isn't. It's just, it's a sign that you've done, made a healthy choice. It's beautiful. Yes. So, yeah, my whole, um, my whole attitude towards flappy skin um, has changed. So, yeah. Yeah, and you had that huge weight loss. And you, like you said, you took your time to get to that. And the body yeah. absorbed some of that extra fat and skin. And so many women that I see on social, they're all like, oh, look at my flabby arms and look at the, the, the flabby this and flabby that. And I'm like, well, first off, we're getting older. We're getting more flabby. <laughs> Let's face it. Okay. Yeah. We're past yeah. menopause. We are, our estrogen levels have changed and we are getting more flabby. And, you know, it's not a sign of being lazy, being old or whatever it is. It's like you said, in your case, you said, I'm leading a healthy lifestyle. That's what this means. Or yeah. others could say, you know, I'm just getting older. That's what that means. It's nothing bad or, or something that needs to be fixed. Because, and I did a, an episode on that. I'm very opposed that we always need to be fixed by our, uh, the fitness industry, by the health industry, by the cosmetics industry, that we constantly need to be fixed and so I appreciate you sharing that. You just said, I don't need to be fixed. I'm great the way I am. I lost the weight, got some flabby skin hanging around, but boy, I crush you in a triathlon. Yeah. The other thing is that I think when you see people on TV shows where people have lost a lot of weight fast mm -hmm. and when people picture flabby, the extra skin, the excess skin, they're picturing those folks. And, you know, I'm, picturing them in my mind right now, I'm seeing these, you know, these rolls of excess skin. But if you think about skin, skin, if you pinch the back of your hand, that's how thick skin is. It's not thick. So when you see people that have these rolls, what you're seeing is people who haven't lost all their fat yet. Yeah. So once I lost all my fat, the excess skin kind of, you know, wasn't like in rolls, it just kind of is there, you know, so very good point, a very yeah. good point. Yeah. So, and, and that means that, you know, it's really easy to hide behind clothes. I mean, a lot of people look at me and say, you know, they can't believe that I lost 200 pounds. So just because, yeah, but, but before, before I lost all the weight, you know, of course there was still weight underneath that skin. Mm -hmm. So, so are you tracking your nutrition and, and I mean, you probably as a triathlete, you track your exercise. So tell us more how you go about tracking. Cause I'm a big, big fan of tracking progress. If you don't write it down, you don't know if it's working or not. So tell us more about it. Yeah. So my nutrition, um, I, for, since I started this, so for almost a decade, I have logged every single bite that's gone in my mouth every single day. Um, I use a, an online app called my fitness pal, mm -hmm. which I absolutely love. Um, it's, uh, it's basically, you just enter your food in there and then you can look at all of your nutrients and, and all of that. And, and it will tell you, you know, it will send you little celebration confetti when you've, you know, hit a goal mark and, you know, I, I love all of that. So yeah, I've, I've logged my, my, what I've eaten um, every single day for years. And one of the promises I made myself is that even when I went off the wagon and maybe had a day where her couple days where I you know, ate, you know, like I used to, that I would still log that food. And I would, then I'd have to see, oh, that was 3,500 calories in one day, you know? 
So, um, and, and that, I mean, it was educational really to realize once I added up all the, you know, the, the three bowls of ice cream and the four <laughs> slices of pizza, how many calories that was. So, so yeah. Also, also unhealthy fats and the sugars and the salt and all the extras so with, I recommend that apps in my program as well. It's like, it's a free, my fitness pal, and you just start logging. It's a pain in the booty sometimes to log everything. But I love it that you're pointing out honesty because I know some of my clients have said, Heike, I didn't want to log it because you would see what I really mm -hmm. ate. And I was like, then why? I'm not yeah. judging you. I'm here to help you understand the waffle and the bagel and the whatever else you're eating, how that relates to why you're not seeing results or why you right. have low energy and all that kind of stuff. Right. Another trick I did with my fitness pal, which really helped me a lot, um, which I still do every day. I log my food the day prior to the day. So like before I go to bed tonight, I'll log my food for tomorrow. And then that just gives me a roadmap for tomorrow of what I'm eating and, and how many calories is going to end up beating, being. So I'm always like pre-planning my food, um, which for me helps me stay on track a little bit. So I yeah. love it. I, I'm all about pre-plan your meals. Yeah. You write yeah. It, again, when you write it down, you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to eat because that's what I bought. I'm not suddenly going out and getting Kentucky Fried Chicken because it's, it smells so good. Yeah, it, it helps you avoid all the spur of the moment decisions because you've yeah. already pre-thought everything. Yeah, exactly. I agree. That's that's a great strategy. Like I said, sometimes it's a pain in the booty to log all this, but it's so important. And you're you're proving or you're showing that this really works. Yeah. Tracking yeah. results, tracking another everything. Thing, another thing that I do that um, it really made it simple for me I think this would be difficult for some people, but I eat the same thing every day. I've eaten the same thing every day for eight years. And so the logging becomes really easy. I don't have to think about anything. It's just, you know, there might be a few little things that I swap out. And my husband and I were just, I was just telling my husband after seven years of eating an omelet for dinner every night, I'm finally like thinking, okay, I've had enough eggs. <laughs> you know, we're on the chicken now. So maybe for the next seven years, it'll be chicken for dinner. But, but yeah, just, you know, just having thought out what a good nutrition plan is and just repeating it day after day is that works for me. Yeah. it also goes well with your triathlon training because you know how many calories you you burn during your training. So give us a little bit of a, a, like a, a quick glimpse around your training. Are you strength training? Do you do Pilates? Do you do yoga? What what do you do in like in a week? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I when I decided to do this early retirement and go all in with triathlon, um, I really changed my training. And then a year ago, I started working with Olympic level coaches. Um, I'm really blessed. They, they each, um, so I have a coaching team now of three, they each only take like a couple of age groupers. So I am really lucky to be in with them, but they taught me, this is something I've just learned in the past couple of years, or actually this year. Um, they taught me to think of training, not as workouts, but as sessions, I just, Bobby McGee is my run coach. And I just had a discussion with Bobby about that this afternoon that he said, you know, in the United States, we call what we do work workouts, but everywhere else in the world is called training sessions. And so I have a morning, a two hour morning training session and a two hour afternoon training session. Um, I, I do swim, bike and run. I do strength workouts. Um, and, you know, basically it's four swims a week, three approaching four runs a week. Um, but I leave out oh, three, three or four bikes a week. And then I do um, brief strength training, like 15 minutes a, every day. And then twice a week, I do a longer strength session. So, so yeah. So when I decided to go this route, I mean, what I said to these coaches is I'm never going to be an Olympic champion, but there's no reason why I can't train like one. And so, and I asked them, I said, even though I'm an old lady, you know, I said, I teach me how to train, you know, the, the mental attitude, the practices, the habits, teach me how to train like, like a, a really, really elite athlete would train. Yeah. It's so much related to mindset too. It's like, where you, you put your mind to it and you get the work done. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mindset is huge. And that's one of the things that all of my coaches um, have been working. Matter of fact, one of my coaches, that that's what he, that's his job is to do mental performance coaching. Um, and, you know, when you think about Olympians, I mean, people that are really competing at the highest levels, they're all good. And what sets one apart from the next is the, their mental, you know, the mental part of performance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing to me how much energy it takes when, you know, someone's emotionally upset or even just to think how much energy that takes and, you know, how to stay calm and how much energy you can conserve for a race if you're calm before it. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so that's a, a whole different level that for most people doing triathlon, you know, it's just about having a personal best, but yeah. Now, now I'm at the level where I want to be globally competitive. And so I'm just, um, you know, really paying attention to everything. And it's true. Now, which brings me to the age grouper, which we both are, is we get older, we have arthritis and other niggling pains. So how do you deal with things like that? Well, I think, again, I'm kind of lucky here um, in that because I didn't discover that I like sports until I was 60, I didn't spend the first 60 years of my life, you know, breaking down the cartilage in my knees and all that. So um, I think there's a lot of women my age who were born after at a point where they were in school after Title IX that never had an opportunity in school to discover that they like sports, yeah. um, which was me. So, you know, for anybody who starts sports later in life, you're likely to have all the cartilage and, you know, a fit body that will, you know, take you on for, for years. So, you know, I, I, I do have some arthritis. I get up some mornings and I think, oh man, I'm creaky today. <laughs> so, so my, my dad said, when you, when you get old, he said, you, you know, when you're old, because you go to bed healthy and you wake up injured. <laughs> so, you know. It's like, I'm all stiff. Oh my God. I can't move. <laughs> exactly. But a lot of my strength and mobility, you know, work is to, you know, keep my mobility and, um, and to, you know, keep my strength up and, and all of that. So, yeah. I'm a big believer in cross training too. I'm like, you know, so many people in my triathlon or running community, all they do is run and they run and they shuffle. And I'm I'm known, I I was a running coach for a while. And then I just, you know, I don't want to be out there at five in the morning, running people around in the track and all this. And uh, people would always say, they see me in there. They always like, fire your glutes because I would run behind them and I'm like Pilates body fire your glutes and I'm like we should make a t-shirt just with that saying I'm like you guys are not using your butts you schlepping forward (laughs) yes I can hear my coach saying the same thing as you say that I totally understand (laughs) no and and it's it's uh yeah you know we, we all can benefit from better form but you recently had a fall and an injury yeah so this year um it just kind of two quirky things um i've had two injuries in beginning of june um i ended up with a precursor to a stress fracture of my lower leg um and actually we don't think it came from running we think it came from some kicking drills that i was doing in the swim so um, I, I don't know, but yeah, so that took me out of, out of running for a couple of months and while, you know, that recuperated, but you know, you're talking about cross training all the time that I wasn't running, then I put into the pool and started having lifetime PRs at age 68 and swim. So, you know, that was, that was wonderful. Yeah. Um, and well, then PR, PR for those who don't know what that is, it's a personal record. Right. So, and for most people, you, you get slower as you age, but I think because I started this at 60 and have worked so hard, I'm still getting faster, which is kind of exciting. So yeah, that's fun. And then recently, oh my gosh, I had this situation where this was two months ago. Um, I was doing a really hard workout on a very hot day and I didn't hydrate properly. Um, And I passed out in the middle of the workout. I was running on an isolated road with nobody else around. So I laid on the road across the road for a while. 
And finally a passerby um, came up and saw me laying in the road. He thought I was dead and he called 911 and the ambulance came and got me. And I am not conscious of any of that. I woke up in the hospital with, um, with no, no memory. Um, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I lived. I didn't know the day of the week. You know, those questions that they ask you to see if you are mentally there. Who's the current president? Who? <laughs> what, what month is it? I have no idea. So and that was a little weird. I thought, oh my gosh, I have traumatic brain injury. And, you know, I was really scared. And then because I was dehydrated, my kidneys took a hit and I'm hearing the people in ER talk about kidney failure. And they thought I had a heart attack because, you know, when you're exercising, running, you're breaking down muscle. And it looks like a, what you, the kind of labs that you see when you have a heart attack, but yeah. So I ended up in the hospital for three days. And um, then five weeks after I got home, we discovered that in the fall, I broke my clavicle. So we didn't know that till much later. So, um, but yeah, but then, you know, I went to no excuses, whatever it takes, find a way. And I thought, okay, I can't, I can't swim because the doctor didn't want me to bring my arm up out of the water, but I could dog paddle. So I dog paddled all of my swim workouts, um, you know, just to kind of keep fit so that when I did come back, I, you know, I'd be okay. So, so yeah, so, so injury recovery became my training. That was, you know, that was my training now. I saw some of the videos on your Instagram account from your coaches to rehabilitate the, the rotation and the one with the, the pole where you're rolling yeah. and rotating. Yeah, yeah so that, really was, that was hard. <laughs> some really good coaches and help along the way is super important as well. Yes. And the other thing that I thought was really nice, um, when I, I had been working so hard for like eight years since I decided to really commit. I mean, I was all in, you know, I really did live by no excuses, whatever it takes, find a way. And when this happened, it was just like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I was supposed to go to worlds in five weeks after that happened. And we didn't know that my clavicle was broken yet. So I could have gone, but I thought, I just can't do this. And, and I called my coaches and I said, I have to withdraw from worlds. I I'm just mentally not there. I'm so exhausted. And just the thought of doing any kind of training just horrifies me. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought a lot about Simone Biles and you know what she went through, but my coaches were amazing. I hope Simone Biles' coaches were as wonderful for her. Um, Bobby McGee said, Sue, of all of the ways that you've impressed me, he said, I am the most impressed with you today because you had the smarts to realize you needed a break and the guts to tell me. And so we just took me off of all training for um, about a month. I didn't do anything. Um, and just sat in my jammies at home <laughs> for four weeks. And, you know, and then they, my coaches brought me back. They, you know, I told them, okay, I think I can exercise, but I don't want you to tell me what to do. I, I just, I don't want to organize any kind of, you know, organized workout. And so I just started like swimming and biking for fun. And um, and then I finally said, okay, I think I can, I think I can handle you telling me what to do, but only once a day, I'm not doing two workouts yet. So, so, and they were very good about letting me take the reins and letting me come back at the pace that was right for me. And, and now I'm like so refreshed and I love it all again. And, you know, that was such a good move on their part to not pressure me into keeping training. And yeah, it was really good. Yeah, because that's like you said, sometimes you just need a break. You need to step away from it all and for a while to rekindle that passion that brought you to to wherever that passion is in the first place without pressure, without anybody saying, go, 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 do it, do it, do it. Yeah. And I think that's true probably in lots of different parts of life, not just athletics and fitness, you know, realizing it time at work, you may be burned out and maybe you need to take a mental health day or take a vacation or whatever, and just turn off from that part of your life. That's, that's causing you stress, you know, or if it's, you know, if you're, if you're raising six children and, you know, you you still have to be a mom, but, you know, maybe you need to ask a relative to come in to give you a night off so that you can just, you know, have time to yourself or whatever. I think, I think we're afraid often that it's a sign of weakness if we say we need a break, but I've come to learn that 
when I talk about no stone unturned, that some of those stones are labeled rest and that that's what I need the most of to go forward is just to take a break. Um, yeah, so that was a really, it was very difficult time for me mentally and emotionally to admit that I, you know, had pushed too hard and that I needed time off. And, um, but now that I've done it, I, I'm, I'm very, very proud of myself for recognizing that and for telling my coaches that I need to stop for a while. <laughs> and I think that's also good advice because that was my, my, my next question. What, what would you tell listeners uh, to do if they're at the brink? And this was the perfect, literally the segment, what you just said about, it's not just about the athletics, it's everything in life that where we need to step on. Said, I, I just, I'm done with this. I need a break. I need to step back. Somebody help me out here. I need to take care of myself right. first without anything else. And hopefully that people have, like you have such a supportive community all around from your family to your coaches and, and the guts that you said, need a break, can't do it, don't want to do it, L let me just do my thing for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, with that, Sue, you also founded the American Student Achievement Institute. Tell us a little bit about that one. So that was a nonprofit that I founded um, back in the year 2000. Our mission was to raise student achievement. Um, in all student groups. So as this was before No Child Left Behind and it's before the government started asking schools to disaggregate data, we started asking schools to look at data for different student groups, male versus female, um, more affluent kids versus kids who qualified for free and reduced lunch, um, different ethnicities. And what schools found was that there were huge achievement gaps. And our work was always just invitational. We just would ask schools, is, is that okay? And, you know, I think most, if not all educators go into education because they love kids. Mm -hmm. And when they started seeing the discrepancies between especially the low-income kids and the more affluent kids, they just broke their hearts. And then we would help them figure out, you know, well, what's getting in the way and um, that led to working with communities. We discovered that we really needed to change the culture of the community as well as look at what was happening in the school. So the work really became about community change. And um, we would work with mayor's offices and um, economic development and uh, big business and faith-based organizations and youth serving organizations and really bring everybody who cared about youth together to talk about, you know, why do we have these discrepancies? And, um, and again, here's another place where no excuses, whatever it takes, find a way. You know, if we love kids and we understand what a disservice we're doing to some kids, um, you know, because they don't have the same opportunities as others, then, you know, what are we going to do about that? No excuses, whatever it takes, find a way. And we would challenge the communities and they, they stepped up. We had huge gains in achievement and closed a lot of achievement gaps. So, so yeah, I love that work. And you can see why it was so easy to pull all-nighters because it was just <laughs> such meaningful work. So, yeah. Now, Sue, is there one question you wished other interviewers would have asked you? Oh, gosh. Um, the part of my story that usually we, we talk a lot about, um, you know, the, the, the fitness parts and the weight loss part, um, there's also a faith-based um, part of my, my journey. And that was a real surprise to me. I did not expect a faith journey at all. But when I had lost about 90 pounds, um, everything just started feeling very surreal to me. I remember thinking, who loses 90 pounds? I mean, you know, who, who does that? Um, and finally, I, through a lot of different things that happened, I realized that um, I think God was reaching out to me and giving me lots of blessings um, so that, you know, I would realize that he wanted to have a stronger relationship with me. And um, then I started seeing the, the face of God in everybody who was so kind to me. I mean, there were just so many people who showered me with kindness through this journey and um, just started thinking about that as the, the face of God and then started thinking about how can I be the face of God too for other people. So so yeah, there's this, this whole faith-based part of the journey, which is 
really why I wrote the book. Um, the book is about weight loss and fitness, but there's a there's one chapter um, uh, titled, you know, I know this is you, God. And then there's uh, some other parts where my coach um, at the time, um, my local coach, um, just told me a lot about his faith. And I got to witness somebody discipling. And that was that was just very, very powerful for me. So yeah, so that's that's the third the third part of my journey, which I don't get to talk very much about. And thank I you for sharing that. Yes. Appreciate the question. Yes. So on to the book. Where can people get your book and how can people reach you? And you also want to share where the money for your book goes. Yeah. So the book is available just everywhere where you can buy books. So Amazon, most people will go to. And it came out in print about a year and a half ago, but just recently in the past few weeks, it, there's now an audio version. Sorry. And that was bizarre to um, hear an actress be me, <laughs> read my words. And I was so impressed with how she captured. I, I, I wondered how I say woohoo all the time. And I was wondering how she would say woohoo in the book, but she, she says it just like I do. So that was kind of fun. So yeah, so for people that like to listen to books on tape while they're training, that you know now you can listen to the athlete inside. Um, so yeah, so it's available on Amazon. Um, the proceeds, I I'm donating all the proceeds to USA Triathlon Foundation uh, for the specific purpose of helping those with disabilities engage in sports. Um, that was I I found watching folks with disabilities do triathlon to be so motivating. And it just made me want to give back. Um, so, so, so yeah. So what is when people read the book, hopefully you have a book that you, they enjoy, um, but also they're donating to a really, really good cause. So I love it. Yeah. And then the follow up with me, um, I have a website, um, suereynolds.net. Um, there's a lot of tips for beginners on there. Um, you know, there's tips about weight loss, tips about starting triathlon, um, and there's also a, a, a tool that you can use for goal setting to help you think about setting goals, what's going to get in the way, having a plan for the things that are getting in the way. So I really, I really like that a lot. Um, yeah. And then on, I, I'm on Facebook, social media, and Instagram, Instagram's easy to remember, just sue.reynolds. So, and, yeah. and almost all my social media is linked from the website. So just suereynolds.net. So, and also we're putting all the links in the show notes. So, the, so while the guys driving and listening or biking, whatever they're doing, they don't have to run and get a piece of paper out and like, <laughs> just go to the show notes, which will live on my website, but also will be part of, of the social media thing. And we'll put the link for the book in there as well. So you guys can get it uh, easily through Amazon or wherever the link is that Sue gave me. And uh, with that, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story, for sharing your journey to become a triathlete and the, everything that goes with it. And um, I know my listeners appreciate your approach to, to hope, tenacity, and faith in that process. So thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you. And thank you for the work that you do, too. I know that you're very inspirational to, to the folks in your community. So I appreciate that. We're on kind of a common mission. Thank you. So with that, listeners, okay, you got all the links, you got Sue's story, but now you got to step up to the plate. We want to hear from you. We don't just put the, the social media links in there just so you can scope us out, but we want to hear from you. How did this episode resonate with you? How did it impact you? What steps did you take? Or how did you change your mind through this episode or, or anything that we would love to hear from you? You can reach out to Sue and we have the links in the show notes. And you know, you can find me on Facebook, Heike Yates, Pursue Your Spark, and on Instagram, Heike Yates, and anywhere else, all over social media. With that, I, want, I just want to thank you for being here, everybody. And thank you, Sue. And we'll see you next time on the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Ciao.